Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast with filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today to talk about the favorite newest film from director Yor- Yorgos Lanthimos. Why am I suddenly so worried that I said his name wrong? <laughs> Actually, I know why, and I have a story, but we'll talk about it. Anyway, here to talk about the favorite from Yorgos Lanthimos, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Bill Graham. No guest this week. All right, just let that silence be there for all the guests that we didn't have on this week. And um, yeah, we are here today to talk about the favorite, the brand new film from the or the director of The Lobster and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, amongst other films. And uh, this movie stars Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, amongst many other fine British actors. And um. It's our soul review today. Even though I might want to just do like a quick run through on Creed 2. Springing that on both of you unannounced. And before we get into any of that, though, let me remind you to follow us on Twitter at Filmstage Show. Search us on Facebook, The Filmstage Show. Email us, podcast at filmstage.com. And of course, find us on iTunes and give us a comment and a rating. We, as always, are brought to you by the patronage of our fine patrons over at patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. If you go there, you can give us as little as $1 an episode. You'll get access to our super cool Slack channel, which I'm sure will be burning up as the end of the year approaches with all of our top tens, bottom fives, whatever you want to talk about. Um, Again, that is patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. In addition... We are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fascinating, beautiful, talented curators give you the best of foreign and independent cinema. We have some great stuff on there right now. Uh, last time we were in your ears, we talked about The Lion and the Winter. We've also got Dharma Guns from 2010. Here is what I have to talk about about that. In 1997, David Lynch spun part of Lost Highway Out, of the tormented mind of a death row convict. In 2010, punk artist F.J. Osange daringly imagines an entire movie erupting from a dead man's imagination, riotously blending American pulp, Greek myth, and French poetry. This is a cinema of freedom. So check that shit out. It's part of their F.J. Osang retrospective. Some other stuff that is new to the platform, in addition... We have something that uh, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago. Pina from Vin Vendors. Oh, we brought that up with yeah. a response to, um, what was it? Suspiria, Suspiria, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I had great things to say about that. And it is the film of the day today, Sunday, December the 2nd. So check it out. For your free trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is that. Um, we did not have anything last week. <laughs> we 
I guess Thanksgiving caught up with us, and then we didn't know what we were going to talk about. And then uh, the week hit, and suddenly it was over. So we skipped uh, We skipped a week, which is a rarity. But as award season happens, you can bet that we're going to be coming at you with many episodes per week as we try to get through all the stuff coming out for award season. So worry not, fine listeners. Stuff will be happening. Speaking of, I was able to go out with my brother-in-law for our classic post-Thanksgiving film, and we saw Creed II. Did any of you all see Creed II? No. Oh. I saw Wreck-It Ralph, though. Yeah, I, I would like to hear about... I was going to say, I I didn't see anything... Or I didn't I saw a Make lot of movies, quick. but nothing that we're going to talk about. So <laughs> I, I would like to hear about... I know you saw Wreck-It Ralph, Bill, and I'd like to hear about Creed 2 from you, Bren. All right, which one do you so want to hear about first, Michael? <laughs> I don't know what show and tell. You guys fight amongst each other. All right. Well, we'll go alphabetical order. Sure. Um, Brian before William, because we're going by our you know, <laughs> name on our birth certificate, I guess. Um, well, I, I I thought we were going by Creed wow. and Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, okay. I mean, that works too. Yeah. Creed Creed 2 comes before Wreck-It Ralph. Or it's Ralph Breaks the Internet, which it's, Creed still I comes before. I think it's called Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph Breaks the Internet. I think. All right, I'm bored. Somebody give me an opinion now. <laughs> All right, Creed 2 is basically a full sequel to Rocky 4, as well as a sequel to Creed. And um, Creed was a fantastic movie. It was legitimately one of the best movies that year. Creed 2 is super fun. It is a great time at the movies. I love... I love like the way they treat time in this movie. Like if you were to if you were to judge the epicness of a movie by the amount of time that elapses in terms of like narrative story arcs, this movie is an epic. It like takes place over the course of a year. Um, it encompasses marriage, pregnancy, you know, fights, and just like it's it's I and maybe it's just because I went and saw it at a movie theater in Queens at like a nearly sold out showing. But in addition to Widows, this was one of the most fun times that I'd had at the movies in a while because my <laughs> my audience was into it. <laughs> my audience was like cheering and clapping. And it was it was to the point that like you almost felt like you were just watching a pay-per-view fight and and like we're in a rowdy bar. And Michael B. Jordan is, of course, amazing. Um <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Rocky, but Sylvester Stallone is fantastic. And um, in addition, I just wanted to, I should have, I should have looked up his name before beginning to talk about this. The guy who plays Victor Drago, uh, the son of Ivan Drago. Montanel. Yes. (laughs) He. Good job, guys. Florian (laughs) Montanel. Yeah. He is. Like, just so good. To the point where, like, if they wanted to do a spinoff that was called, like, Drago or Victor or something, I would be 100% on board. Because he, you expect that he's just going to be, like, you know, a slab of steel that's like, I must break you. Like, like, like Ivan Drago was. But he's got, like, some real pain and emotion in him. And I kind of love, I kind of love how these movies have, like, been digging deeper into these like concepts of like what makes a fighter and like what are you fighting for and just um yeah the uh the direction was very good some of these punches that you see get landed are super visceral uh steven capel jr directed this film did you miss uh mary say uh alberti i I know it's a different uh cinematographer this time i kind of missed 
a little bit of like the you know the cinematography in Creed was amazing. This this one is a little more. I can't think of the word. I don't want to say like workmanlike, but it's a little more just regular. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> but but the the direction, the editing, the sound mixing, it all it all pulls together to make this a very fun visceral movie that does well by the characters that we grew to love, um, including Tessa Thompson, who gets like a show stopping moment in this movie. And um, and yeah, Felicia Rashad as well. So if you liked Creed, if you loved Creed, do not worry. Creed 2 is going to give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, I really want to check that one out. Yeah, I recommend it. Uh, Bill Graham, Ralph breaks the internet, Rick at Ralph 2. No, no, no. Ralph breaks the internet. You are correct. It's just <laughs> Ralph breaks the internet. Okay. Yes. yes it's not even like colon Rick at Ralph 2. Oh, no, no, no. It's not like yeah, The just... Lost World Jurassic Park. No, you, you can stop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so I recently watched Wreck-It Ralph, uh, not for the first time, but just re-watching it uh, with my girlfriend. And I remember how much I really enjoyed that film. The first part of it is kind of it, – it's got a lot to set up. And it it moves fairly quickly through that and really kind of shines when it starts to develop the relationship between uh, Ralph and Penelope. And this film, I didn't know what was going on because all I had heard was that this one was nearly perfect. This one was better than the original. This one was just like I heard all these glowing things and so i went into it expecting a lot uh which is not usually what i go in expecting from a animated film usually i have not necessarily a low bar to clear but it's there's like no bar (laughs) usually it's just like oh here we go you know i hope i hope this is delightful because ultimately despite the fact that i'm a grown-ass human that like loves and cherishes cherishes these films i still acknowledge like they're mainly based around trying to win over an audience of kids not necessarily adults so whether it works for me or not is it necessarily their end goal right um this one the first hour or so i was kind of asleep um it throws a lot of like internet tropes and not necessarily that it feels dated because i mean it's it's still topical even now but it feels like it's going to date itself a lot more than the original wreck it ralph will um but this film focuses just mainly on on penelope and ralph and their relationship and by the end of it it develops into something really quite special uh, kind of touching on like what it means to be a friend and what it means to kind of grow up and have to maybe spend time away from your best friend and, you know, how clingy you should be and things like that. Um, And it's got a good message at its heart. And, you know, there are sequences that are very delightful. um, But yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag. I think, I think, the ultimate message of this film is is really really good. Um, the racing again is is kind of like a, a nice highlight in this film. Um, the relationship between Penelope and this racer, I believe her name is 
Crush or something like that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. She's voiced by Gal Gadot. And, Her name is uh, Shank. Shank. Yeah, I, I butchered that real good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the relationship there is is really nice. Um, it's a female and female relationship. Uh, and it's interesting because I always look at these characters and Shank is like a full grown woman and Penelope is very much a, a little girl. But it's hard for me to know that they've been in this game for like 20 years or whatever long Penelope has been stuck in in Sugar Rush. And it's like, yeah, she's not a child, though. <laughs> so it's, you know, but she has been stunted because of her past and things like that. So it's interesting to see that kind of dynamic play out on screen. Um, yeah, it, it's a mixed bag. I I didn't think it was a home run. So I was I was kind of disappointed. All right. That's um a surprisingly <laughs> negative take on a movie that otherwise has been given near universal acclaim. But hey, that's why people come to this show. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've gone through those quick picks, um, we probably have other full reviews on some stuff coming out that's been out. I don't know if we're ever going to talk about Green Book. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll save that one because we want to get in to talking about The Favorite, Again, yes. the newest film from Yorgos Lanthimos. <clears throat> how, how many movies has he made in the past two years? Is it three? I think it's, I think he's been like doing one a year. No, because The Lobster was, The Lobster was in 2015. Lobster, are we sure? I don't know. That's what it says on IMDb. Maybe that was like its festival debut. And then, I think yeah, festival it, stuff yeah. gets weird. So according to IMDb, <laughs> it was released at Fantastic Fest in September of 2015. And then the New York Film Festival later that year. And then the 6th of November at AFI Fest. God damn it. How much further do I have to scroll? Just go to Wikipedia. Okay, then it was the Sundance Film Festival in 2016. And then it got its limited release May of 2016. So Why did it do? Why did it festival for so? It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, so yeah, he has had one a year, basically, an actual release. Well, I mean, Brian, remember what that film was. And then try and make up marketing for that yeah that's true a24 like, bought that and was just like uh we'll make a quiz that tells you what animal you would be um a quiz <laughs> that i took and apparently i am supposed to be a crow that sounds about right that does, doesn't crow. It? <laughs> um not I'm the crow mind crow. you i'm not going to come back from the dead on halloween and avenge oh. my dead fiance um anyway so yeah killing of the sacred deer was last year uh we had feelings on that one and then uh we've got the favorite which again stars Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weiss. And here is the trailer. Dearest Queen, you are mad, giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Molly. We are at war. We won. Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see. And I heard the word fat. Fat. And, and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me. He dies. I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. Arr. 
All right, that is the trailer for the favorite. Again, the newest film from Yorgos Lanthimos. I am. Um, this is my first year being a critic who gets to vote in an award circle. So I was uh, I was writing up my stuff, and uh, spoiler alert for my feelings on this movie, I was gonna give Yorgos a uh, best director nom, and I wrote his name as Lorgos Yanthimos. <laughs> wow. And I looked at it for a long time, and I was like, that doesn't feel right. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God. So, Yorgos Lanthimos. And then you didn't give him best director. <laughs> he, um, I think he actually uh, – I, I could look at the uh, the thing about our nominations, but uh, I won't. And, um, yeah, I think he got nominated for best director. Anyway, by the way, if you're listening to this, I'm going to try to get it out Sunday night. And uh, the Washington Area Film Critics – association uh will announce its winners uh tomorrow morning monday at 8 a.m so check that out i know it's exciting i got some i got some real like dark horses that i feel like i I lobbied hard for and they're on the ballot and i voted for them like some shit so uh what do do y'all have did y'all have like physical i know i know uh, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, like you're not really supposed to talk like about what goes on, I guess, during the balloting <laughs> for some reason. It's it they're fucking weird. Um, but like, do you vote in person? You're talking about the nominations right now, right? So you're the nominations, the- I don't know if it, you know, this is, it's interesting. I wonder if they're going to get pissed at me at some point during the week began a like 36 hour sprint where first we sent in our nominations and then the nominations were tallied and so then you we sent gave them our final votes. S- sent them sent them in via the internet via the internet it did y'all have done. like a facebook page like had y'all been having meetings or anything like that there is a facebook page it is secret and uh we talk about stuff on there cool. and um cool. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I, 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 was, I was just wondering if if there was like actual like like conversation or if if it was mainly like at, at like press screenings like some people talk to each other no it's mainly (laughs) on the facebook thing i don't know i haven't been able to get out to a press screen for a lot this is a lot of inside baseball nonetheless just to say that's why i fucked up his name (laughs) and i'm now going to be scared forever much as i am still scared that i'm going to say channing tatum's name in the reverse um because that's just the way my anglicized brain works um if it's not a clear first name i freak the fuck out (laughs) anyway lexia brian i don't like but the weird thing like only for the sequence of words and not letters. <laughs> like, okay, all right. I know it doesn't make too much sense, but it happens. Um, anyway, this movie is about two women who are vying to be the favorite of Queen Anne, played by Olivia Coleman, so that they can reap the benefits of a close kinship with the queen. And um. Yeah, it is it's a it's a comedy of manners or ill manners if you prefer. And um once again directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara. And um let's talk about it. First of all, just just to refresh. What did we all feel about the lobster and uh and and the killing of a sacred deer? I loved the lobster and then famously said that the killing of a sacred deer made me question if anything that I liked about Yorgo Lanthimos was on purpose. <laughs> so he had some ground to regain with me. Um, Michael Snydell, why don't you tell us your feelings on those two movies, and then uh, we can we can skip into your feelings on the favorites. 
Yeah, I like I like the lobster, but it, it was definitely uh, suffered a bit for me in feeling like two very different movies in the sense of both halves of it and uh, Sacred Deer, while well, maybe not making me uh, negative enough to completely doubt anything or a doubt what I first saw in Lanthimos was uh, a really bad experience just all around for me. All right. And your feelings on the favorites? Oh, I, am I going right now? Okay. Yeah, you're up, dog. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the favorite is, uh, it's a bounce back for me. Like, it's, um, you know, and, and I do want to say that this seems to be the first film that is written, excuse me, the first film from Lanthimos that is written by someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara, as Brian said, wrote this. And um, it's interesting. And they talk like normal humans. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Closer <laughs> enough. Um, and interestingly enough, this is Deborah Davis's first credits, and, and I'm very interested to see wow. what will come from her. Uh, Tony McNamara, it seems like he was involved with, uh, he was kind of a, a writer on a lot of Australian television shows um, that I hadn't heard of, to be completely honest. But uh, then he also directed and wrote a film called Ashby. Um, but this is, this seems very much like his big coming out uh, Hollywood moment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that this is a great bounce back in part because um, in direct contrast to even the last two Lanthimos films, this is a film that allows the the characters get to dictate their own destiny. There's not a surrounding scenario that um, that that determines people's very strange behavior, which was the case uh which was the case with uh, the killing of the sacred deer and um, the lobster. As, as Bill just said, people talk like actual people for the most part here. <laughs> um, they're very mean to each other in just deliciously fun ways. Like there, there are at least a dozen of my favorite lines all year in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and it's and not like, just the main cast that are like mean <laughs> to each other. It's it's weird. Yeah. Like like the random staff are like odd as well. And you're just like, what a bunch of assholes in this place. <laughs> yeah, like it is. It is that is the one thing that does kind of um, put it in line with those two past Lanthimos films in the sense that everyone in this film is kind of terrible. Like they all have different motives. They all have different agendas, but they are all willing to hurt each other and, you know, to just be bad people in order to accomplish what they say. Um, I, I, I won't go any longer, I, much longer. I'll just say that visually, I think this is, I was really bothered by a lot of the God's eye view, uh, the kind of pretentious choral interludes of killing a sacred deer. I think this visually uh, and textually is a lot. It's really interesting. Uh, I, I think it sometimes reminds me of someone like a, a Roy Anderson, you know, who did um, who's uh, responsible for like songs on the second floor uh, th- that uh, no, he's not Finnish. <laughs> I can't remember what nationality <laughs> he is, but he's known for that very dry, acidic, uh, almost diorama style. Uh, and this reminded me of that a lot. But um, I, I also think it, it does some really interesting things with anamorphic lenses yes. um, in, in the sense that like uh, the the sides of the frame are continually folding in. And it, it does. It's very interesting 
the ways that Lanthimos is able to kind of evoke the the like the very dark qualities of his past films um, without needing to rely on the same type of absurdity. So I was I was really impressed with this. I think the one thing that we can speak about later is I think that at a certain point, this feels the need to foreground the drama in a way that I don't feel is totally necessary. And it's um, it adds an interesting wrinkle to the the um, the main trio, but I, I just it didn't particularly work for me, and it felt a little bit too much like uh, the movie ran out of steam. But I I just had a, I had a really good time with this. And last thing, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas <laughs> Holt is a yes. blast in this movie. He's the so three women good. are fantastic, but Nicholas Holt, man. <laughs> All right. Bill Graham, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer? And then what did you think of The Favorites? So I really had a lot of issues with The Lobster. I thought the world building was fantastic. Um, and I liked the notions, but I felt like the film really struggled to grasp me and hold me and hold my interest. Uh it was particularly difficult because this was that was the first uh, Lanthimos film that I had I had seen, and I had trouble kind of parsing some of the way the characters acted and the way they spoke and things like that. Somehow, uh, y'all didn't seem to like Sacred Deer, and I seemed to like it, uh, particularly for a lot of the reasons that y'all seem to dislike it. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the fact that like this time around, I, I was used to his rhythms. And so I guess I was easier and more relaxed into like feeling the characters and feeling the people uh, behind the, the kind of weird aesthetic that he has. And so I really enjoyed that film. I think it's really fucking wicked. Uh, there are some issues certainly, uh, particularly towards the end uh, that we discussed in detail. Uh, that was a, a very entertaining podcast that we did on that. Um, so I didn't know what to expect from this. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm very much surprised that I think this film is going to work on a, for a lot of people. Um, you do not need to have been a fan of Lanthimos to come into this film and watch it and appreciate it. I think maybe it heightens it because you really do get to see the development and the evolution of a director who yes, is not writing his own film, but merely, I guess, wh what would you say? Adapting it? I'm, I'm not even sure. You know, he's not, a, he's no longer a writer director on this particular film. Now, whether he actually, you know, did, co-write and you know uh work on the script a little bit behind the scenes you know we, we may never know but um I, I just feel like he managed to both maintain control of the film in his particular aesthetics and yet also allow the characters to talk like normal humans for the most part um and and just have fun. This film is fucking hilarious. It's delightful. Uh, our audience was having a blast. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean the the women in this film are are absolutely amazing, um, and I just I love that it has these this different complexity to it beyond just people being dicks to each other. There's a lot of like, you know, state running and things like that that are that are at play. It's interesting to think whether any of these people actually care about their country or whether they're just in it for them. Um, and yeah, it, there's there's a lot of backstabbing and it's it takes a lot of turns that I wasn't expecting considering it looked like a very kind of straightforward two people competing for the, the whims of one person kind of film. Um, it took some turns that I wasn't expecting and yeah, I was, I was delighted by it, uh, throughout. Yeah. So I, uh, again, I loved the lobster, uh, killing of a sacred deer was a rough ride for me. Um, but the uh, the trailers for the favorite kind of had me on board. Not just because I uh, love Rachel Vice beyond all reason, and and shout I out can't... to humble beginnings with the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, certainly not, maybe not her actual beginnings, but you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you think about her being in the mummy nigh on what was it, nineteen years ago, and yeah. um. I mean, but like the funny thing is that like I I would I would I would argue with anyone who needs me to argue with them that she has a legitimately great performance in the Mummy. Oh, she's fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah. just amazing. Her and um, fake drunk. <laughs> oh my god! Would you, yeah, what's a what's a place like this doing in a girl like me? Wasn't that her line? And Brendan Fraser's just like yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> no, she's she's great, and she brings a little of that comedic energy to this, but in like its dark mirror world version. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I loved this movie. This uh, this was a real turnaround from from Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I think I think a little. Uh, it's not like the Lobster, but it has some similar things to the Lobster. I think Lanthimos is more palatable for me when he's working in a comedic sense, where he can still clearly hate humanity, but maybe have a little more fun hating humanity. It's mm-hmm. it's the difference between like going out to the bar with a friend and like the friend is just like talking shit about people, but in like an inventive and funny way. And like mm-hmm. your friend darkly talking about how much he hates someone at work, because like in one of those, you're like, this is great. I'm having a good time. Sure, it's a little mean, but like at least it's entertaining. And in the other one, you're like, do I need to tell someone about this <laughs> yes. is, is a murder about to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, his tone has got me real worried. Um, so this, uh, I think also the, he, he lets some of the quippiness come back in. The lobster had a great comedic timing and, and killing of a sacred deer was a little stayed, <laughs> I think is the best word for it. Whereas this movie is, I was talking with Michael a little bit uh, earlier and, and I just like the, the way that the characters will say something insane and then turn on a dime as though they haven't said anything at all is, um, is amazing. And that comes back to like Nicholas Holt, who, who has like probably the line in this movie that made me laugh the hardest. And it's not what he says. It's the way that he says it. He says something. I don't even know if I could say it on the podcast in all honesty. Um, (laughs) But does it involve a certain word that they really like saying in this movie? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's a word that is literally like the fulcrum on which the plot of atonement hinges. Um, <laughs> but he's talking about a guy who 
is very enamored of Emma Stone's character, says it in the most vulgar, offensive way possible, and then just immediately flips to like, so you must tell me how the queen is doing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that like, you know, whether Lanthimos had any part in like any of the writing of this, which I don't know, like it, it just doesn't feel like him so much, but it feels like he probably felt a lot of his like kinship with this script. Mm. But that's like, that's where I think for anyone who's ever been confused of like, well, how do you like disseminate acting from directing and writing? Cause like the writer puts all the words on the page, but like someone has to walk up to the actors and say, what I want you to do is say this with immediate importance and like venom and then throw it away and talk about something else. And then the actor has to be able to intuit what that means and then do it. And like, that is that, that moment in this film is just like the perfect confluence of writing, directing and acting. And then when you, you, you mix that in with the beautiful cinematography from Robbie Ryan, I think I looked this up. Yeah. (laughs) Robbie um, Ryan. Yeah. Who did American honey. And um, a number of other great films. And, I mean, the editing, like, everything in this movie just comes together to make this incredibly acidic black comedy, like, not lose itself to the acidity and darkness. Like, it just melds together so goddamn well. And I was, you know, in, not, not even in stitches, but just, like, constantly bemused and then suddenly gut checked with a laugh like just throughout the entire the entire run of this film and the um the plotting like the court intrigue i think strikes a very good balance of being just twisty enough without you having to really follow it like mm-hmm. there's constantly discussion of like a war and taxes which could get very dry but instead in this movie it's like you you have these people who act as the avatars for those ideas and one of them is Nicholas Holt the most foppish dandy on earth who wears more makeup than any woman in the movie does and who has higher heels than any woman in the movie does and he's just like well, I don't want my taxes to go up and like so you're like oh okay yeah well the the foppish dandy landowner doesn't want his taxes to go up that is his entire personality trait like that's his driving force and like the war will make his taxes go up so he needs to end the war and it's just like there's enough without it becoming overpowering and and it's just so good like i i loved watching this movie and i'm looking forward to making people that i know who i think would like this movie watch it and just i want to see them become like abashed just shocked by some of the things that happen and are said in this movie so the one, uh, thing, I want, the the one thing I want to ask before it's we great. get into spoilers, I, I, I think Bill's, and I guess you're getting into this, Brian, as well, is you're saying like, this is something that you could show someone for the first time. But I am just curious, do you guys still think this might be too mean for the average person, I, um, even if it's not violent? Here's, My here's... girlfriend had a, had a lot of fun, so and she's not a movie goer that takes... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to just... Uh, She's squeamish? No, it, it's just she had a lot of fun and she was laughing a lot. And she's not necessarily a, a dark humor. She okay. she likes light fare. Like, if if 
I was to give her an option of like various movies, she would be like, what's the light one? What's, <laughs> what's the like, what's the one that I'm going to enjoy watching? Right. And she so enjoyed not Manchester this. by the sea. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, okay. So it's, it's interesting because this movie is mean, but I feel like it's a bunch of mean characters being mean to each other. So sure. like in the killing of a sacred deer, I just hated everything that was happening because the, the cruelty seemed what's the word I'm looking for? Like not, not performative, but like show offish, just like, look how awful I can be to these people. Um, especially with the way the movie sure. ends and this movie, like none of the characters are redeemable, but they're all very fun. So it's, they're fun, mean, and they're all being mean to each other. And so, like, there was never a point where I, like, wanted anyone in particular to win. And there was never a point where I, like, was, was like, oh, why are they being so mean to this person? Like, I empathize with characters who have tragedy in movies. And no matter what had happened to any of these people, I think I would have laughed. Um, I think that that's the difference, is that this movie, it feels as though the characters are at once cruel and caught up in their own cruelness. So it's a bunch of spiders getting caught both in their own webs and in others' webs. <laughs> and so I'm not like watching like a poor little fly get caught in anything. It's sure. like all these, no one in this movie wouldn't sink their fangs into the closest thing. <laughs> and so sure. it's a little harder. It's a little easier to palate, palate that it's more palatable. Even mm -hmm. Abigail immediately is just like, okay, yeah, she, she fits right in. Yeah. She, uh, cause like <laughs> Abigail, who's played by Emma Stone comes in and, and she has like a bit of that, like you think she's like a dewy eyed innocent, but just sure. immediately will like whip out her, her, her lash of a tongue and just cut someone down. And you're like, okay, no, she'll be fine. <laughs> she will fit right into this crowd. Sure. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. even Queen Anne, who yeah. is is like a pitiable character in a way, just by dint of being the queen, has so much power and and is also at once like so ignorant about certain things and her own power, but is so like knowledgeable about when she can deploy it that it's like hard to it's hard to really feel bad for her. Also, her self-destruction, though, is really, like, textured. Like, I, I mm. never felt like she was one note, and I give a lot of credit to Coleman for it's that. It's interesting that, um, you know, talking again about uh, awards seasons and everything, you know, when you look at the four-year consideration ballot for this film, Olivia Coleman is the lead. They they put her forward as lead, and uh, Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone are supporting. And Olivia Coleman gets first credit in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because she is the lead, and it's it's kind of interesting. You know, I feel as Why though we that? spend what? more time with Vice and Stone, sure. and they feel hmm. like the more interesting characters. But as Michael said, Coleman does so much, and it's just interesting how in the film it's like she's the queen, but she's getting played by all these people, um, but she's still the queen. And, and it, the same thing kind of goes with the way that the credits work. It's like, sure, it seems as though... She's just like this character who's like a token to be one, but she's still the lead because she is mm -hmm. the most important person. And yeah, at the end of yeah. the day, she she is the when fulcrum you, on which it all rests. When you ask who is the main character of this film, it's the queen, right? Like mm -hmm. that seems to be and, and not that Vice and, and Stone's characters aren't 
essential to everything that happens in this film. But I think it's safe to say that outside of someone like uh, George R. R. Martin, the the Queen character would be the perspective of the film or the perspective if this was a novel or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think she's very much... And it, it, it's always difficult because a film can lead you to believe that other characters are main characters. And it's like, it's tough because, you know, you follow them around and you're given their perspective and things like that. Unless the film is, is absolutely first person perspective or something like that. And I think they did that already in a couple of movies and that was a terrible decision. But, um, (laughs) so yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's always interesting to hear for me at least to hear when people talk about like who should be, uh, supporting and who should be lead and what kind of opinions they have about that and where that comes from. Um, because sometimes it comes from the way that the Academy kind of falls down on it. And if you're, if you're aware enough, you realize that it's not actually the Academy. A lot of the times it's whoever is pushing that film in particular. And that's, that's who ultimately means, you know, where those breakdowns happen. But what's curious and not to, again, uh, maybe it's, uh, we all just have awards fever because it's that Mm. time of year. But just, just to make that point, like it's curious to me that Olivia Coleman got lead actress in this, but like in something like um, Fences, Viola Davis. Sure got supporting when she's very clearly the co-lead of that movie and often they do that because it's <laughs> it's the martian getting nominated as a comedy they want that award and they don't care if they have to do some ballot fraud to get it so i think it's yes. incredibly brave and like honest for them to say like no olivia coleman's the lead of this movie like sure and not to because, uh, because if if you gave her best supporting actress a nomination here and maybe had stone and and vice in in lead mm-hmm. i think coleman would definitely probably mop mop the floor with everybody you know so putting her in a tougher ballot is is yeah it's it's almost it's also almost category suicide in a way it's but like, it's like okay. uh, it's like rocky or creed you know it's like that's where they belong and they're gonna mm-hmm. they're gonna fight to prove it um also the ending of this, this movie is- not to, this is uh, the time when I mentioned that the Chicago Film Critics Association is doing something different and does have Vice and Stone as leads what? and Coleman supporting. <laughs> what? <laughs> See? And what and, and again, like uh did y'all y'all receive screeners, right? Or Correct. did did, uh, did y'all go see this in the theater or did, did y'all not. Okay. Um what does the screener the say? The screener says that Coleman's lead so I don't know what the mm-hmm. y'all are smoking up in Chicago. You know, I know we just saw widows, and so we know how corrupt and crazy Chicago politics can get. But I didn't know that that extended into the Chicago Film Critics Association. Oh, oh God damn it! You found a way to link it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to call up a couple aldermen. Oh and no! See if we can work out what's going on there. Let's, let's not do this. Let's not go down. This I shouldn't route. have said anything. <laughs> Oh, so man. the favorites. Uh, as yeah, you were the saying favorites. about the ending. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I was gonna say like I, I this is like a perfect way to segue into spoilers because if you were watching this movie and think I don't know Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone really seem like the leads, 
the last moment of this film literally disabuses of you you of that and and mm. shows you what's up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, spoiler alert: uh, we all dug this movie, and um, you should go out and yes, see it. Definitely, definitely go see it. Like yeah. it, it, it was funny because I think someone said that it was like in ten cities right now, and it's like. I don't know. I, I was able to see this at my local Alamo. Granted, of of like I think the four or five that are open here, only one was playing them. So it is, yeah, it's it, limited. It's it's limited, but but it'll hopefully expand. Yeah, I think I think the the major theaters are definitely going to pick this one up. Um, it's hard to avoid those two names in particular. Vice and and Stone are definitely like actresses that people are like, oh yeah, I know who that is. You know, Did, you would either it, recognize them or recognize their name. Was it just one. last year that Stone won the Oscar? Uh, did she win? Yeah. <laughs> I don't so remember. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because. La La Land was 2016, but those Oscars happened in 2017. Correct. And so she won lead actress for La La Land. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, you can throw up, you know, should have won an Academy Award by now, Rachel Weisz, Academy Award winner Emma Stone, you know, the director of The Lobster, you know, yeah, it'll, it'll expand. And I hope it does. And I hope everyone out there goes and sees it. But anyway, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Yeah, you know, just just to play into that, uh, the lead performance is Olivia Coleman because she is the queen. And at the end of the day, even though one of these women won and got everything she wanted, when the queen wants her to rub her goddamn legs, she's still got to get down on her knees and rub her legs. <laughs> and that can't be denied. So yes. at any point, you were like, oh, yeah, Abigail won. She figured it out. She got her enemy exiled. She's got her, her husband. She's got her, her title back. But end of the day... Olivia Coleman, as Queen Anne says, rub my legs. Emma Stone's on her hands and knees, rubbing those legs. What, what, are, what are you sending us, Mike? <laughs> I, I wanted to do the tweet. I, I needed to clarify. It's Emma Stone, who's eligible in Best Actress. It's Rachel Weisz and Olivia Coleman who are supporting. So I want to say this is not me, but this is going to represent me. <laughs> so that's something. I, I, yeah, it's yeah, it's a choice. <laughs> that is a choice. But the thing is, honestly, I sort of was expecting that after watching the movie. But again, if you if if you get to the end of the movie and you see what happens, you're like, "Oh, right. Yeah, like one of these women is clearly the lead." And Coleman, mm. as you said, Michael, gives like a fully empathetic well-rounded performance about like a member of the british royalty who ruled for like six years and was like cripplingly diseased through most of it but is 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 this character real is is all of our like how much of this i i I don't want to get into the fact fiction game but i definitely want to know if like this character is real did she have gout did she actually like not have 18 children and uh maybe maybe in there <laughs> so i um i was curious after having watched the movie and queen anne is in fact a it was was in fact she is long dead um is in fact <laughs> what <laughs> she was a monarch she was uh reigned from 1702 to 1707 and she was the queen of uh, england scotland and ireland and um I from what I from what I read, I believe that yeah, she did have like all of her children pass away. 
Um, so yeah. So I mean, like it that at least is true. I can't. I I I almost don't even want to look up like if any of these other people are based on real sure. people. I um I thought about googling like you know Godolphin and stuff like that, but uh, I was just like, you know, why why ruin a good story with yeah. I like the mystique. I like I like remaining in and mystery. And even if yeah, he even if he was, it's like I don't feel like learning about the um the real people would really uh, sure. really enrich me in any way. Like this movie is just like a good time and you know, knowing that Anne was a real person makes me a little more interested in like some of the places that this goes. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know like it's it's weird, you know. They're British, the Royals, and um, they're a little larger than life, especially in history. And they've been around longer than the U.S. presidents. I know that we like have no problem poking fun at like Dick Nixon, but he's mm-hmm. sort of the only one who we allow ourselves that with. And so I wonder if we're ever gonna get like a movie like this about like I don't know George Washington Lincoln? or like. <laughs> Yeah, it would, I feel like Lincoln's too much of like a national hero. Um, but like, <laughs> sure, it'd just be funny if one day you're like, they're making a weird dark comedy about Woodrow Wilson or Calvin Coolidge, <laughs> or like here's um mm-hmm. here's like I don't know Judd Apatow's making like a weird buddy comedy about like the thirty days that William Henry Harrison was dying in office. Armando Anucci would actually do pretty good with that. That would actually I would I would pay to see that movie tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But like, you know, aside from that, that like slight grounding in in truth and reality, um, this movie is just a a fun old romp. I love the I love the fact that they do like uh, goose racing. (laughs) Yeah. When I realized like what was going on, I was just like, this is fucking great. And then and then his line about the one guy that like just keeps his prize goose like around the entire time and like when Rachel Vice needs to get out of the situation that she finds herself in she's like go to this place you will <laughs> see a man walking a duck at 9 a.m. like and talk to him bring him to me he will pay you he will you know enrich your life enough to basically make this worth your while I love that <laughs> it's he just like wow him and that duck or that goose are like just so so dependent as to yeah, be able to be they're, found. They're there. little buddies. They're little buddies, man. Yeah. I think what's great about those activities too is that like uh geographically, they're always uh, there is almost no understanding of anyone outside the royals. Like we briefly see servants, but like other than that, like this whole house is so it's so big just for the sake of being big. There's even like multiple sequences where we see Queen Anne being carted down this huge dark corridor from like one side of the the castle manor, whatever you want to call this, to the other. Like it, it's just it's those activities. I, I, I particularly like how they're still uh, grounded in like a certain um, like uh I guess it's not really claustrophobia, but like the opposite, I guess, of claustrophobia, just of everything seeming so empty and of these people, you know, who are so important, like talking so much and 
about so many different things, but nothing of nothing of any purpose or meaning actually really happens. Like even in terms of like uh, politics, like mm-hmm. it, it's just it's um, I, I don't mean to take it away from that exact thing, but I just thought that in particular, along with them doing, you know, skeet shooting, like all of those are great encapsulations of just like the uh, psychological profile of these characters. Yeah, I mean, and how like, much they don't understand like regular people. I just love like the idea that like strolling the grounds could be like a thing that you would do. It's just like, you know what? I haven't seen the East Wing in like seven months. I think I'm just going to stroll the ground. And then the best sure. part is there's, um, I, this is just something I noticed when we first began this podcast. Um, actually, I don't know how, how deep into it we were. We watched, um, Snow White and the Huntsman. And I said that one of my favorite things about the movie is that, like, I always see these movies where, like, there's a, a, a hall filled with candles. And I'm just like, <laughs> God damn, who lit all those candles? And in the background, you could see someone going with a wick and lighting candles. And I was just like, that's perfect. That's the kind of world detail that I need. And in this movie, every time they're walking one of these massive, empty, seemingly pointless halls, um, there's a guy standing yeah. next to the door. <laughs> Who's just, I guess, there in case something should happen to you. Oftentimes, I, like a small child yeah. as well, like like a kid. And I'm just like, that does not seem like the type of door person I would want when I'm having these like sometimes conversations that are maybe a little bit loud about like my intentions or things like that. And it's just like, really, you're going to say that in front of a a a adolescent i will call them and it's like and expect them to keep their mouth shut like but that's the thing like they're gonna run their mouth (laughs) i just it's so weird to like consider the life of that like 12 year old who's just supposed (laughs) to stand there especially when i think it was uh when when lady sarah who's played by rachel vice tells uh queen anne that she looks like a raccoon (laughs) and or no a badger Mm -hmm. even better she looks like a A badger badger. yeah and And Queen Anne is is crying and then walks away and then turns to like this 12 year old who did not look at her and says, did you look at me? Did you look at me? And then he's like pointedly looking at the floor and she's like, look at me. And he looks up at her and she screams, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, that's probably the most excitement that kid has ever had on his job. And he his job is to stand there, be a witness but like never say anything. And I guess it, the, the idea is that like at some point, if you needed something, you could say, boy, go and get us some like dish rags or something. And he would have to do it. Sure. Sure. So it's like the medieval, not the medieval, but like the 1700s version of a cell phone or a pager was like just literally having a boy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- anywhere you needed them, they were there. And, you know, it- it's almost like it's funny because what you would expect is maybe they would like, like follow them. And so like they would go to the next door and they would go to the next door. But like clearly this this kind of royalty, the way that they live is no, they don't just shift around. They're at their post. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they just stay there. So if you if you aren't in the West Wing for seven months, that dude's been standing standing there for seven months just being like, well, this is fucking boring as hell. <laughs> You know, it's just like Jesus. How man. long has it been since you've seen anyone walk this hallway? Well, I thought I saw a ghost once. <laughs> yes, it's just like Jesus. And I think Christ. that's where um 
again, like, you know, that, that idea of like production design and then Lanthimos's just like sense of, of creating a scene comes in. Cause you have all of this outlandish, pointless, outrageous nonsense happening. Just like mm-hmm. seeing all those people and like seeing these people like racing ducks and then the queen being like, I've ordered some lobsters sent up. We're going to race the lobsters and then eat the, eat them. And it's just like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, like that's something you can do, I guess. And, yeah, and um, where the fuck did they get lobsters? You know, it's just like, man, how long did that take? Yeah, how long have you had this lobster plan? You had to send out yeah. for those lobsters. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? I just also love, <laughs> I love Emma Stone saying like, and, uh, you know, my servant is bringing me something called a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, the the chapter titles I enjoyed this again although once again he's got like seven acts and it's just like really man <laughs> I <laughs> really think, like seven uh, chapter breaks Jesus I literally Christ. thought about uh, Suspiria oh. when we started getting up into like the six and seven chapters I was like oh but is there gonna be an epilogue <laughs> it kind of seemed like there was gonna be a Grand Guggenhall, you know, massacre at, at by the end of this on the same level as Suspiria. To I, be was, I was I was one hundred percent waiting for like just the end to come and for people to start murdering each other, which um we get close to with Rachel Weiss, who wears So yeah, she's poisoned in a way and falls unconscious, falls over horses, like dragged through the forest and is is found by a brothel people and is nursed back to health and then is going to be put to work in the brothel and instead mm-hmm. she sends them to look for the the duck man and then sure and then so it's funny after that like she has this like gnarly scar and then has crafted this super awesome looking lace cover-up for like half of her face and I was just like, God damn, I would have I would have forced someone that I know to wear that for Halloween so hard. <laughs> this might wait, this might be a good time. I feel like we've mentioned a lot of the below the line stuff, but Sandy Powell, co- the costume designer for this mm-hmm. is just uh, the costumes in this are fantastic. Rachel I mean, Vice, Sandy Powell's like God level at this point. But Rachel Vice should play some kind of like pirate queen or something or like I don't even know. <laughs> Like the Scarlet Pimpernel or something, because the way that she wears riding pants and a coat in this movie, oh yeah. like mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. took my breath away. When she like sweeps into a room, like just again, like decked out like a like a, like a dashing pirate. I was just like, holy crap. This yeah. is why I've always loved Rachel Weiss because she wears the shit out of it. And then unlike a lot of people who who have like a kind of weird modern sensibility about things, she brings so much like authentic power to her moments mm-hmm. and um yeah i oh man it's just so good she's so good we don't vote uh for costumes for the washington film critics association but if we did you can bet this would have been one of them mm-hmm. yeah and, and the dress is widows. too like it's it's not only it's not only how much these characters like fit it but it's these costumes like they have a, a great sense of almost like androgyny about them like the, there's a sense it's not like what you typically expect for for a period film. Yeah. Like there's such there's a boldness to the way that everyone looks and like, you know, we already spoke about makeup a little bit, but like, <laughs> man, when Olivia Coleman like is wearing makeup at that dance, like it's just so grotesque. And Nicholas Holt as well. And like and seeing Rachel some Weiss of these people totally calls out Nicholas Holt. She's like, your mascara's <laughs> running. If you want, you can go touch it up. Mm-hmm. 
the wigs in this movie as well. Oh, the, the men look so fucking dumb. Well, the, the, I think one of my favorite bits is how we see that Olivia Coleman's character is so just kind of like childlike in like her immediacy to be satisfied by certain things that when that marriage plot is sprung upon her and she's just like, oh, oh, we got to do it now. Yeah, and let's it's just do it like, right now. And, and Emma Stone's like, it's it's like you can tell she's about to be like it's the middle of the night what are, what are you talking about like we can't do it right now and then you, you cut to a sequence of them in like the chapel or whatever and you see nicholas holt and his wig he's looking pristine all the time and for one moment his wig is like off kilter just a bit and he looks fucking tired as hell and you're just like oh yeah they definitely just woke his ass up can and he you, was just like what what can you imagine okay? like having to wear that wig all day i have to imagine that wig weighs 10 pounds it's um yeah and that's that's yeah. a great th- this is something else this movie does the costumes really well because like i said uh rachel vice lady mm-hmm. sarah rocks her like shooting outfit her pirate garb and that like shows you her kind of like anachronistic masculine power and everything Mm. and then you have nicholas holt who in that moment is kind of like the happiest he's ever been because he knows that he's going to get his way with the taxes thing his friend who who was blank struck by emma stone's character is now getting married and so like it's almost like in a in a cow movie when like the guy tips his hat back when like the fighting's over and he's relaxing it's like he's tipped his wig back and he's like i can finally let down my actual hair a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm, and it's that's that's just good costuming and that's and again the uh, you know (laughs) they sent me the script for this movie um Mm, same and i read a little bit of it because i did want to like see that that idea of like how much was it like was any of it improvised like did they really have that written out and was it it really just like a block of text and it was it's it sucks because like uh, those screenplays like no matter what format you get them or when you get them, you have to be very careful about like, was this the shooting script or was this the finished script or, you know, sure. because it's very easy for them to basically be like, oh, yeah, let me just go ahead and edit and like add in the dialogue that we ended up using yeah. and, and stuff like that. And so it looks like the exact same thing. But when I really you start wanted- noticing differences, mm-hmm. that's when you know, like, oh, this is like a draft of the script you know this may not be may not be the final final but maybe this was like the second second draft or something like that you know and um and that was fun actually you can uh, around this time of year actually um you can go to the film Mm -hmm. stage and we will show you where to read some of these scripts when they're available online and i one time read the entire script of the wolf of wall street (laughs) and you Mm, could see You could see where they excised like scenes or lines between scenes. And I was mm-hmm, just like, this mm-hmm. was a three hour long movie. <laughs> yeah. How, and- was, how was anything excised? Like, what was their initial plan for this? <laughs> yeah. But what I wanted uh, to look up for this movie, and I, I I flagellate myself before our listeners for not having actually done it, was to see like, you know, the dancing scene. Like when Queen Anne mm-hmm, like cries mm-hmm. for it to stop, like beforehand, like they're doing oh some God. fucking awesome dance moves. And I want to know. Yeah. Exactly what like those stage directions moves. were. 
they're doing some wrestling moves like like full on like i thought i thought i was watching like ice uh what was it ice skating almost yeah. it was just like wow when like, the guy this is, is like intricate like this is not something this is not something that you would just be like Oh, sir, do this to me. It would be like, Let us dance the quadrille. Yeah. Yeah. Ma'am, I don't know if I can hold you. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if you're light enough. I don't know if you will throw up on me. Like, let me, let's find this out, you know? And it's like, it's very much like, oh, they, they've done this before. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that, the, the use of, um, I have to assume, and I don't have any way of knowing this, but I have to assume that one of the reasons they chose those like anamorphic, almost fisheye lenses is because they were working in like existing places. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of this was done on sets, if anything, but like, I just got the feeling that like they found a palace and they shot in it and they wanted to show it all off, but they couldn't like break away a wall clearly. So they were just like, give us an anamorphic lens. We'll do a little bit of a warp. I will say I was looking on Wiki and it sounded like uh, Yorgos told Robbie that he wanted um, he didn't want to use Steadicam because he'd used that a lot previously. So they were trying to create a more fluid style hmm. uh, without using Steadicam, which I think is, a, is an interesting goal given how it looks. Yeah. Hmm. No, this is this is a beautifully lensed, beautifully edited, wonderfully acted, you know, sharply written greatly directed film yeah yeah i I think this is this has got it all it's got it's got everything going for and what's weird for me at least i don't know if you guys had this reaction but when it ended i was like yeah that's pretty good and like i was happy with it and then like for some reason i woke up the next day and i just kept thinking back on it and it is like steadily grown in my favor as i've thought about it more and even talking to you now like i started super high on this film and i feel like this is one of those movies that like you go and you see it with someone. So afterwards you could be like, can you fucking believe that? <laughs> yeah. Can you believe yeah. some of the shit that happened? <laughs> well, we should talk about the, the shift then with about uh, 30, I'd say it's about 30 minutes to go. It, I, and I'm saying the moment it, um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out exactly where I want to say it switches. Um, I, you know, maybe I, I, I would say, where Lady Sarah starts to leave and where uh, Abigail's, you know, ploy seems to have completely worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then you, you know, you get the letter writing scene, which is, you know, I have to say a shot with a very different, um, I, like a, a dreaminess that almost isn't there the rest of the film. And then you have, of course, the final scene. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I checked. I'm pretty sure it's about a half an hour left. But I, I'm curious whether you guys thought that that switch to something, at least in my eyes, like very much that veers very much away from comedy, whether you thought that that worked or 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 not, whether you thought it worked, but uh, whether you guys had any thoughts on it. I think um, as I was watching it and I kind of realized that like the game was over and she had won and um, we were kind of just seeing the fallout and what it what it led to. Um, I think that I did kind of appreciate at least the little bit of air that it led in to the proceedings, um, seeing seeing how much it <laughs> I think the section is called I dreamt I stabbed you in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a line that Rachel Weiss is uh, writing in one of her many discarded letters. And so I thought that it was actually kind of moving how 
you're watching this and you think that it's all just just parlor tricks and and salon gossip and stuff but you see rachel vice like legitimately struggling through her like hurt and her anger to just like put down on paper something that's gonna like make make the queen you know not hate her anymore and you see how much it anguishes the queen to not have received this letter and rachel vice has never had any trouble saying exactly what she needs to in order to get you know, the queen to do what she wants. But in this moment, like she's so wounded that she can't. And the queen is kind of baffled by how long it's taking to receive this like letter that she's been told to expect. So that when, when the letter comes and, and Abigail played by Emma Stone just throws it in the fire, I was like a little shocked. I was like kind of upset and it showed a ruthlessness even in victory that I think turned me against Abigail a little bit. Um, and if mm-hmm. that hadn't done it, the stepping on the rabbit would have mm-hmm. for anyone who's different kind of cruelty. Yeah. Cause like when you're, when you're fighting, it's, it's almost like the difference between when you're on the court, you know, you can like hip check, you can smack talk, but like, don't go and hit the guy with a bat afterwards when he's walking to his car to go home after you've already mm-hmm. beaten him. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. why do you have to win again? Like, nothing that's happened can be taken away from you, and you've clearly already been the victor. And so to see her do that, and then again, like, I know I said stepped on a rabbit. If anyone is listening who's not already seen this movie and is now very upset, she doesn't crutch the rabbit. <laughs> the rabbit is fine, but she definitely pins a rabbit down. And I'm like, again, that's just a kind of level of cruelty that we didn't see from her before. And then... And that we didn't see from Rachel Vice said either like yeah. Rachel Vice doesn't want to deal with the rabbits but she's not cruel to them you know right. it's 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 it is a change of perspective because what we see is we see that Emma Stone's character has kind of settled in and has gotten used to her station right and so her, she no longer really has to fight and we see her base instincts kind of coming out in a way where it's just like, whoa, like, you know, you're right. When she's doing battle, you forgive a lot of these things. But once she's done, once she's had her victory, you would expect her to maybe be a little bit nicer. And if anything, in both of those situations, a, she's, shittier to everybody it seems uh she isn't very nice to her husband who seems you know just just smitten with her and it's like i mean i guess you know when when you have an arranged marriage or whatever that kind of situation eh, that's that's not fucking arranged she she willingly went into that like (laughs) she pursued him after all um uh, i don't know it it shows a ruthlessness to that character that I really wasn't expecting. And I, yeah, I didn't like it. And I was, I was shocked by it and I was just like, Holy shit, this, this woman won. And then it's almost like you see that final sequence and it's like, yeah, you won, but did you win? Because Rachel Vice probably would have been happy to been in that situation. And you seem real unhappy. And it's like, uh-huh, 
Okay. Yeah, you won the you game, know? but you didn't know what like the uh, the badge would lead to. You know, sure. You, and, you, didn't, and, you weren't and ready to hold up to that realize... trophy. Yeah, and then you start to realize how long Rachel Vice has been filling that role, and you're like, oh, oh, shit. You and know? Rachel Vice like, like wow. had. I, it, it, I don't want it, to. It'd be interesting to like really drill down into whether or not we thought that Rachel Vice had real feelings affection and feelings and i think that the letter writing scene proves that in some way she did and she has there's a great scene where she's like um like the fact that like i tell you that you look like a badger the fact that i that i like hold this mirror up to you proves that i love you because i'm not a sycophant who's gonna tell you what you want to hear and i'm like that is a like so so Abigail has been like you're beautiful I love your rabbits and Rachel Weiss is like my love has limits I'm not going to talk to your rabbits which by the way are like the surrogates for your many dead children sure. um and there's neither of those loves is <laughs> particularly good but one of them is more honest which I think in the end for a woman like Queen Anne is more constructive and meaningful and it keeps her grounded and so that's why like at the end she she orders emma stone to rub her her legs because that's what emma stone is like that's that's the relationship that emma has set up for herself she's like i will Mm -hmm. i will be your supplicant and i will do what you want in order because i know it's going to get me what i want and rachel rachel stone rachel vice playing lady sarah had an opposite type of thing it's like i love you and you love me, and that love gives me the power to say, you look like a badger, you should go change. Like, And that's cruelty, but it's honesty, whereas Abigail's is cruelty that's also deception. And, I think um, even we, we even see the physical relationship between Abigail, Abigail and Queen Anne being a, a form of deception as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like Sarah and Anne, you know, even if it's, even if that scene is played as, you know, Abigail finding out something that she's then trying to poorly blackmail Sarah with, you know, it's, that is something that is true and genuine in the moment, uh, which I think is also yeah, there's a tenderness to that. another thing. Yeah. Another thing to mention there. And so to my eyes, just to get back to your initial question, Michael, about like how we felt about this final scene and, and the kind of the dropping of the comedy, I think that, um, I kind of liked it. I, it, it allows for a little more of like the, the reality to seep in, which Lanthimos likes, but it also it, it helps to like put into context the performances that we've seen not from the actresses but from their characters, and I really appreciated that and I liked it. It's it's like you know you're watching this commedia del art type thing going on, and then you get to follow the uh, the characters backstage as they like take off their makeup and show who they really are. Mm-hmm. So sure. yeah, it, it, I can understand that the tonal switch might throw some people who've just been having so much fun with Nicholas Holt, <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think that what makes this movie more than just like a, a fleetingly good time, like biting satire, is that peek into the humanity behind these people who had seemed so monstrous previously. I think the that last period, I, I think I was a little bit seeing the machinery, especially with that last scene. You know. Uh, you know, speaking about Lanthimos' previous films, without without spoiling uh, both of them, both of them kind of end with kind of a weighty gesture, right? like, and at least especially in the lobster, an ambiguous moment. And this isn't ambiguous, but 
this isn't necessarily ambiguous what happens in the favorite, but just the way that it was framed and the way that I could tell the scene was going to be the last thing and how it goes on. And, um, Oh geez, I can't think of what it's called when an image overlaps with an image that's already there. Uh, can either of you help me with that word? I have no idea. Like the rabbits showing up yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're uh, saying, but yeah, the, I, I, it's like way. an overlay. It's an overlay. Yeah. That, that a double exposure thing. sort of, but it's not. I don't know if that's it. I, I apologize. But anyways, my point being that like, I, I think just knowing that he did those in the last two films, like I knew as soon as that started, I'm like, all right, this is the end of the movie. Like there was just something a little bit, a little bit like the, the movie ran out of steam a little bit, even as I find that gesture interesting I, although admit it i do have to admit um to show my ignorance here i didn't know at first what the what the rabbits meant mm-hmm. until i thought about it a little bit and actually talked about it with my partner but uh, there's just something about that that i would never i wouldn't go far enough to say, I mean, because it's a betrayal of the earth something like that but i do feel it feels off and I and yet I can say at the same time I agree with both of you about the letter writing and I do like that but there's just something about her trying to crush the rabbit as well as the final scene where she's holding her she's rubbing their leg that just it, it felt programmatic I, I, in a way I, I can't quite articulate obviously and that's, so I'm that's, just curious whether yeah, that's either understandable. Of you that. I am. Um, I I I hear what you're saying, and I understand it, and it makes sense. But I did not have that same emotional reaction. Same. Yeah. Fair enough. So like, I can't argue with it. Yeah. Like, I I could tell the movie was ending at that point. Like, it was very clear what was happening. But for me, I sometimes like it when I can feel that wind up. It's if for me, it's almost like in a symphony or like a really good pop song when you can tell like, oh, okay, here's the fade out, or like we're building up to like that final you know, three uh-huh. note staccato all going in the same direction type of thing where you know that afterwards everyone's going to stand up and cheer and they're almost being like exhorted to by the way that the mm. music is going. And for me, clearly this isn't a stand up and cheer exhortation, but it, it has the same effect of like cueing you in to be like, all right, now's the time when you can wind down and start to think about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is interesting too. And I, um, I, I, we haven't spoken about it here, but I find it very interesting. This movie has a lot in common with the death of Stalin. Actually, I don't know if either of you had a chance never to got around see that one. Scene. I did not. Yeah. I did not have the chance to see that. Sadly, I, if you see that, I'm curious whether you see uh, whether you guys have any feelings about it because uh, I, I won't say more. But uh, in terms of structure, they they do relatively similar things. I am sure that I will see it at some point. Love Armando Iannucci. And uh, I love Russians, so yeah, it's probably, it's on my list mm. somewhere. And because I want to say one more positive thing, because I, I do actually like this movie. Um, you know, I don't know about if this is a really unpopular opinion, but I've been a little unimpressed with Emma Stone relatively recently. You know, I, we were pretty honest about La La Land. Well, I was about but to say even, La La Land. But even like Battle of the Sexes, I thought was totally fine. Oh, and, I didn't even uh, see that. I, a number, a, a number of other things, like the, and I. This is the first time I really like 
liked her in quite a while since maybe like easy a. I, I, I mean, I'm uh, I'm gonna look up her IMDb page because I can't even remember what I've seen her in that I that I would have liked sure. her in. Um, it's always difficult because an actor can only do so much, I feel like. And I feel like both of those films, I wasn't going to really be impressed with her performance because the directors and the writing wasn't going to give her that kind of stage. So I don't want to be like, oh, Emma Stone's a a mediocre actress because she's been in a bunch of mediocre films with mediocre directors. Like that's, that's a little unfair, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, some, some actresses and some people are able to elevate themselves above what, you know, they're being burdened by, you know, trying to play that on screen, but it's, it's very rare for that to happen. Um, it's, it's more often the case that people just chameleon into whatever they need to be to serve the purpose of the film. So, yeah. Okay. Sure. So I, I looked her up on IMDb cause I was like, you know, I'm curious, like when did I start liking her and when did I fall Zombie off? Land. So <laughs> super bad, I think mm, was her mm-hmm. first, yep. it was her first feature film, um, sure. which I, I loved, uh, her in that that's that's like my I'm pretty sure I've told this story before but that's the movie I took my brother and his friend to when they were like 11 <laughs> because I thought like okay they're gonna curse a lot but like that's fine and instead it was like the dirtiest goddamn movie ever yes um nice. but yeah so she was great in that she was great in Zombieland I, I did hope not you see... bought them beer right after that <laughs> <laughs> you would think so after that I was like why don't I just buy you all some heroin and further that's why we came home wow. and I said to them when they when your parents ask how the movie was, just say fine. Like <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and it's funny because we were um like the whole way home we were quoting it to each other and like talking about our favorite parts, but then we pulled into the, the driveway and I was like, Okay, okay. When they ask how it was, just say fine. <laughs> Cause if you say it was bad, they're gonna ask why and you're gonna have to lie. If you say it was good, they're gonna ask why it was good, and it's gonna be hard to lie and not tell them everything <laughs> in it. But then those are the same two, my brother and his friend, that we later would one day go and see The Wolf of Wall Street with my parents the day after Christmas. Oh, yes, I remember that Which story. is another great movie-going story. Um, so Zombieland, which is great, a great fun time at the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Marmaduke she was voicing, never saw it. Easy A, I think, is when she popped for a lot more people. She was apparently in Friends with Benefits, which I don't. I, I can't remember if I saw Which that one, one or no that? strings attached. Is that the Natalie Portman one or the Mila Kunis one? That is the Mila Kunis Justin wow. Timberlake one. So that is okay. the one that I saw, but I don't remember her in it. Then Crazy Stupid Love. Which people have an affection for. It's their her whole you look like your photoshopped oh thing. Oh my god. The the scene at the end of that movie, I just I can't do it. I can't do it I, with the photo. I don't even remember. Um she was in the help, clearly. Um, amazing Spider-Man. I actually dug her in the Spider-Man's man's, yeah, yeah, the Spider's yeah. she, men. She was, she was a good Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Um, gangster squad, which was a tremendous cult, colossus, tremendous, <laughs> colossus, <laughs> tremendous, colossal failure of a movie, um, that did nothing good for anyone. She was in the crudes, which she gave a good voice. I remember that. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Cage plays her dad in that. Yes. Um, yes. Magic in the Moonlight, which probably best not to talk about. Um, Irrational Man, similar. She played a I half like Hawaiian. Yeah. She played a half Hawaiian in Aloha. 
Oh wow, yeah. And that then, has um, its defenders. Yeah. Um Birdman clearly she was in and uh she I don't know, she was fine <laughs> in that. I think she did what was asked of her, but like that movie has fallen in my estimation from when I first saw it. Um and then uh yeah, La La Land Battle of Sex is now the favorite. So I'd say like the last one of those that like I would have said like I love her would probably be Zombieland with then like qualifying <laughs> then qualifying like she's good in the amazing Spider-Man but that's not a perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I I just I I guess what I'm saying is yeah, Bill, like I absolutely agree. It is the material and you know things like that, but I just think that what she does here with her really knowing uh, like she has a very knowing act acting style. Like it, it seems odd to put her in a period piece, like to be completely honest. But like, I, I think that she does very interesting things with her kind of, you know, girl next door ingenue, uh, I, ingenue feeling here. And especially it's, it's especially weird seeing, you know, going back to that last scene, like you don't see Emma Stone pretending to kill any, rabbits in any of her other uh big sure sure yeah she gets to be a little (laughs) a little darker okay wait a second i just realized something and this is okay so emma stone was in a show called drive that was on fox do any of you remember the show drive on fox oh my god no the show was crazy it starred like nathan fillion apparently melanie linsky was in it as well and uh, Dylan Baker and uh, like Emma Stone, like the same year as uh, as as uh, Superbad. This was a show about like random people who'd been forced into an illegal cross country race. Oh wow! Okay, right, this so one's great. it was like I would de- watch death race. <laughs> it aired for like seven episodes and then was canceled. And it, that's that is that is network TV like on the fucking nose. Like, it was just the weirdest like, thing because interesting idea. And then, it, like, just like awake, like, but no, they're not going to be able to like support genre television like that. So, uh, Lost is the last final frontier. Well, in, Bill, that's in that what regard. I wanted to say. Like, and, if and you, if the you only think reason this... Lost worked is because it had so many fucking viewers. Like, and and they tried to dick that show around so hard by moving it from Wednesdays and Thursdays and Tuesdays and doing all that bullshit. Like, man. Well, do you remember how like every show was crazy. like Lost but blank? So like, oh yeah, Lost yeah. but uh, they, they aliens after going, a hurricane, and they like have it going on right now with Manifest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But so like there was a point right after Lost where like every show was lost, but blank. So like there was um, the hurricane that like brought up the aliens or something. And then there was like the event drive was lost, but on an illegal cross country race <laughs> like that. I think that actually was like both its greatest uh, boon and like it's also ultimately killing it because like I think. If I remember correctly, Nathan Fillion was in the race because, like, someone had kidnapped his wife and he, like, needed to win or they would murder her. Jesus. And, like, but other people were just like, we just want to win. And, like, other people had, like, shadowy backstories that maybe we'll find out in, like, season two. And even as I was watching it and loving how fucking dumb it was, I was like, how do you make this an entire, mo- like, season of television? It's mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 ran out of material like six episodes in, and you're like, and no one was interested oh. to begin with. What was the other one? Like yeah. six degrees, or like all those people who were in the bank robbery. 
Mm-hmm. And then there was flash forward. We should just do. I have an idea for a spinoff. We should do well, there, a, there's there's like what, life on Mars as well. Yeah, like, we yeah. should do an entire podcast that's just reviewing all of the shows that tried to be like lost clones, <laughs> and just talking about like which ones we wished had survived and which ones deserved to die. Flash forward was actually good. Like, I, I enjoyed flash it. Flash forward. It had the famous <laughs> Joe Jackson on it. <laughs> Anyway, we've gotten way off topic. Um, <laughs> what the fuck are you guys talking about? Uh, I'm this gonna, I wanna, super interesting mid-2000s TV trend of <laughs> creating baffling mythology that alienates anyone who didn't watch the first episode. Absolutely. Uh, I That's why Modern Family thing. succeeded, because Modern <laughs> Family was just a normal sitcom that was airing against all these things, and you didn't have to see three seasons of Modern Family to get the newest sure. episode. Sure. Yeah. Um, I want to mention one thing and then we can we can get the fuck out of here. Uh, this is this has gone seven, seven <laughs> innings, just like Yorgos's fucking films. Bill, there are nine so, innings in a baseball. I game. know. I know. I know. Um, anyways. Yeah, I knew that, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, I think one of my favorite sequences is also a very kind of flirty sequence. And that's when Emma Stone and like her future husband are like actually going like, and doing this like courtship dance and they're like wrestling and like jumping after each other. Oh yeah. In the woods. Never fucking see any kind of like activity out of these people when they're dressed the way they are in that period garb. And it was delightful to see them like actually being able to be mobile and like have fun and like wrestle and like jump after each other. Like that dude jumped after her a lot in that, in that sequence. And I was just like, this is a lot of fun. Like, I don't know if it's fun just because I never see that or if it's fun because the film makes it fun. I don't know what's going on there, but there's a lot. <laughs> I love how, uh what's the word impotent or like pointless he is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like he he has no power <laughs> at all no to no. the point where like even after they're married and she's still scheming she's like sure i've sure. got to work through this shut up and like mm-hmm. i will i will fix my position so that you can marry me i also love that like one he, of my um, favorite lines is every time i'm thinking please shush <laughs> <laughs> and um i love when he like comes into her chambers and she says, are you here to seduce or rape me? And he's like, I am a gentleman. And she's like, so rape then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is, again, part of the super dark charms of this movie. But it's like in a world where the term like nice guy or good guy has like become a shorthand for a super shitty guy who mm-hmm. tries to like use his veneer of kindness as a dodge for his shitty opinions about people. Like, mm-hmm. that's just great. I just love hearing that explicated in such an easy way. Is this the most positive we've been on a movie in, like, six months? <laughs> probably. Oh, <laughs> probably in, like, a year. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's kind of shocking how, uh, <sighs> how like, into this we are. I kind of want to, like, scroll through and see what other movies might have even given this a run for its money. And, um, I mean, we all had a great time talking shit about Apostle. Uh, yes. Michael, you were not on the Bad Times at the El Royale episode. But that was yeah. fun. You guys yeah. all liked it, didn't you? I, I listened to part of it. Yeah, we all did like it. Um, the Old Man and the Gun, I feel like none of us were super negative on it, but I had to do some defense to, like, prove that it was a great movie. 
We all liked A Star Is Born. But that was yeah, that was the last one that we were all really kind of positive on. The yeah, Sisters I rewatched Brothers... it, and it wasn't quite as big a hit as I thought it was going to be. With uh, um, I was watching it with a few family members, and they didn't like it as much as I thought. Huh. Yes. The Sisters Brothers, we were all positive on, even though we thought that it was kind of wonky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like oh, support the girls, maybe. Was that the last time oh, that we yeah. were like all super jazzed on something? I, I was I was kind of mixed on it, but I think I think that film, like Wreck It Ralph, I think that film has a lot of uh, shit to get through, and then it kind of settles into its message, and I enjoyed the message more than I yeah. necessarily enjoyed the journey there. What about the Meg? <laughs> did we all have fun with the Meg? Uh, no, Michael did no. not like it. Oh. It's okay. Mission it was okay. Impossible Fallout. I remember I had a no. trouble with. No, I didn't like it. <laughs> What about Leave No Trace? <laughs> yes, I really like that one. Build, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that was July. <laughs> and then before oh, that, it might have been Revenge or Hereditary. Yeah. Mm. I wasn't on Revenge, but I was on Hereditary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, okay. Justine really liked it too, I believe. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. I'm just now realizing that um, all those things were uploaded in July, but they might not have actually posted in July. So if anyone wants oh, to figure out when, when we switched over to, to like SoundCloud. SoundCloud. So if anyone wants yep. to figure out when we <laughs> reviewed <laughs> the, yeah, Leave No Trace, um, it was episode 302. And uh, it came yeah. out in August. So. Did it? Was it that? No, hold on. It was July 19th. So weirdly enough, it synced up. I'm looking at the actual page where it posted now. There we go. So July 19th. So yes, Michael, nearly <laughs> nearly five months have elapsed since last we were all super positive on a movie. Oh, man. Yeah. That all right. Fine. That's okay. It's fine. It, it we happened got one. During awards. It happened during <laughs> award season. This is this is our fucking front runner. Not the movie. No, this is... the front runner is yeah. not our favorite, but the favorite is our front runner. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's going to be some. I'm just going to run that joke into the ground over the next month and a half. Anyway, um, so that's our thoughts on the favorite. Uh, again, the newest film from Lanthos Yorgamos. No, <laughs> oh boy. Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, it's out. In limited release now, I assume it will be expanding, and uh, you all should check it out. So, that is it. Uh, let me remind everyone to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. In addition, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Filmstage, where you can now see Pina, which was something that we talked about in our Suspiria episode, a film by Vim Vendors, who we previously talked about Paris, Texas, on our classic episodes, as well as Lion in the Winter and um, a bunch of other great stuff. Oh, Borgman is also on there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should say we did not forget about classic episodes. We're just prioritizing new episodes at the moment. We, yes. we promise we will get to that. We will start just <laughs> pumping those bad boys out. When Michael finally finishes watching Hunger, which is also still on movie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so that's that. Go to MUBI.com slash Filmstage for your free 30-day trial. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about something. It's uh, it's going to be a fucking melee, I think, is what it's going to boil down to yeah. for us. It's going to depend on what's out in theaters. It's going to depend what we've got screeners for. We're going to try to hit 
as many of the big boys as possible. And we're also going to try to hit some of the smaller gems that come out. Um, if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about, you can hit us up on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. And of course, if you're in our Slack channel, we probably already know what you want and have already ignored you. <laughs> there, there's maybe one film that repeatedly comes up. <laughs> we will at some point review Buster Scuggs. Scruggs? Whatever. Maybe it'll drugs. happen this week. Who knows? I, I It was just, guys, I, I just want to say... I, not guys, I, men and women, people who listen, etc. Believe me, Dudes we will demons. do things. Sometimes we're trying to get guests for some things. We're trying to do as many as possible. Please bear with us. We will do the big ones. Yeah. We just want to give you the best possible podcast. And sometimes that involves having someone else on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have to be on Green Book? <laughs> no, you got to be on Green Book. You've watched Green Book. You did the hardest part. You watched well, it. Well. <laughs> but also, Green Book's not doing well in the box office. So, like, if we don't do it this week, no, odds are it's not going to be relevant enough. Though it has been winning a shit ton of Critic Circle Awards. The so. National Board of Review gave it best film of the year. But yeah. they gave three wow, films total all of their awards, which is strange. And First Reformed. <laughs> <laughs> That is super strange. Um, again, I want to remind people that the Washington Area Film Critics Association will be publishing their winners tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern time. So check that out. It's going to be cool. I have, there's like, like I said, there's some dark horse left field choices that I really got my uh, fingers crossed for. Cynthia Revo, Best Supporting Actress, talking, El Royale, baby. If you don't quit talking and wrap this up you won't be able to post this in time for anybody to download it and listen to it. So all of that shit is going to be useless to even hear. True facts. <laughs> anyway, um, so let's that is that. Let's get the fuck out of here. It's all a big way of saying we don't know what's coming next, but something is coming. All right, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and whenever we uh, record again. Bill Graham. You can find me thanking the heavens above that I do not have gout on Twitter at cable BFG. You can also find me on the Slack channel. I promise to be a little bit more active on there. Uh, shit's been crazy on my end and y'all talk a lot. So bear with me. <laughs> Between There's a those King two of the things... Hill episode where Bobby gets gout and it does not seem as bad as Queen Anne's gout. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. All right, Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter where I will be pouring one out for uh, the dearly departed Filmstruck. And uh, you can find me less on Slack because I am on Slack too much lately. <laughs> uh, so Michael's going to pull yeah. back and Bill's going to try to fill in the void. <laughs> if you want spoilers for maybe opinions coming up on bigger film, bigger films coming out, I have been watching a lot of things on Letterboxd, giving them spoilers. So I probably holiday season. Go take a look. All right, and of course you can find me on Twitter at Brian J Rowan, my personal site, tierfilm.net and BrianJRowan.com. Again, check out the Washington Area Film Critics Association website at wafca.com if you would like to see who wins tomorrow morning and um, thefilmstage.com where you can find all of our previous episodes and stuff that's written by us, reviews and junk. So, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. 